and we're live. Welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm Brian. That's Kent. Hey, Kent, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Brian? Doing all right. It's nice to finally meet you. I feel like I've seen I've seen you around for the four years that I've been at Log Rocket, but we've never actually spoken. It's kind of hard to. I mean, no, if I, don't take this the wrong way, but it's kind of hard to avoid you if you're like <laughs> like it just you're just around. Um, how would you introduce yourself? I don't know how to, the best way to do it. Like, how do you sum it up when people ask you what you do? Yeah, normally I, uh, I have a info page, uh, for sending to to (laughs) folks with just like a quick little intro to me, but, um, yeah, I, I am a software engineer. I've been in industry since 2014 is when I graduated from college. Um, and so I've been doing this for a while, JavaScript the whole time, um, and, uh, yeah, I, I am a full-time educator, uh, after having worked in, in industry for a few years, uh, and doing education pretty much the entire time, uh, just on the side. Uh, I live in Utah and I am married and have four kids. Um, I have content on egghead IO front end masters, and then, uh, testing javascript.com and epic react.dev, um, are kind of my, my two big things that I've done. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty involved in open source as well. I created the React testing library um, and a, a bunch of other packages um, that I maintain. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's. I, I'm a Google developer expert. I don't do too much with that, <laughs> but I technically am. <laughs> um, so yeah, lots lots of fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's a there's a lot to get uh, get into there, uh, and you actually hit a few points that. Um, I sort of had in my mind, this is the things I want to talk to him about. So I'll get to those later. I think the, the probably the easiest uh, place to start is, um, is Epic React. Um, I guess maybe could you just, for everyone, just describe what it is real quick, and then I'll, I'll get into my questions about it. Yeah, sure. So Epic React is my attempt at um, making the world a better place by teaching people how to make React applications really well. Um, I, in my mind... Uh, most of us are engaged in some activity to make the world better by building, uh, using our, our software skills. And I think that I can make the biggest positive impact on the world by helping people accomplish whatever they're trying to accomplish better. Uh, and so I have been teaching React for a very long time, um, over, like over half of my time in the industry, really. Now that I think about it, it sounds <laughs> kind of weird, but uh, for a really long time and um, iterating on material, getting better as a teacher. And I've found uh, that uh, I don't scale very well. And so, and on top of that, because I don't scale very well, um, my uh, material and my delivery is um, very, um, it's not very accessible to people. And so, because I have to charge so much because I don't scale. So um, I recorded everything and, and um, presented it in a way that it, it can be self-paced so we don't lose all of the benefits of an actual live workshop um, and, uh, and made it available. And, and now the, the price of it, what's effectively 11 workshops is uh, the cost of a single workshop. 
Um, and so, and now that can scale uh, forever and I can help a lot more people that way. And so, uh, and on top of that, it's, uh, we've got purchase power parity. So, um, you know, there are different places in the world that can't, uh, that don't make as much money uh, as we do here in the United States. And so uh, we can uh, reduce the price based on where people are coming from in the world and that sort of thing. So, uh, and then all of the material is completely open source. So you can go and work through the workshops on your own. Uh, it, what you're paying for is the video and my explanation and walkthrough of the solutions. Um, but it is intentionally open source and I do advertise that and I encourage people to go through that material uh, because I know that the, uh, the content quality is, is high and uh, people will will pay for it if if they can afford it and they can uh, make it work um, and so i want to like my primary goal is to make the world better uh, by teaching people how to make quality software so yeah epic reacted it is effectively 11 workshops uh, uh like full day workshops that uh, typically takes 14 weeks or so to get through at a, a pretty i wouldn't say aggressive pace but a, a pretty um, strong pace uh, can take longer, uh, and and people with a lot of React experience can go through it a little quicker. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a, a lot of um, working at the keyboard uh, through each of these workshops. Whether whether I give it live or uh, as a self-paced thing, um, I have found that you're most effective at remembering what I'm teaching you if your hands are on the keyboard. And so that there's a huge focus of uh, exercises in these workshops um, and exercises in your own development environment. I know that there are platforms where they'll have like, you can do the whole exercise in the browser. And I think that's cool and interesting for something that you just have a, um, a passing interest in learning. But if you really want to be able to build stuff, you're not going to be building stuff in the browser. And so that's why instead of like building a platform where you can do all the exercises in the browser, uh, I instead just make it so that the workshop is uh, set upable, <laughs> regardless of what platform you're on, so that you can work in the environment that you're actually going to be shipping code in. And so yeah, you spend a lot of time in your development environment working through these, these exercises. And like I said, it, it's... Um, a lot of people try to compare it to a Udemy course. It's nothing like that. Um, uh, apart from the fact I have strong feelings against Udemy. <laughs> um, it is much easier or, or better compared to uh, a semester class at a university. Um, and, and we try to do things to make it even more like that. Um, by me having office hours every week. Uh, so if you have questions you're not, you can't find an answer to, you can come to my office hours and ask. Uh, and that's not just people who have paid for the course either. That's, that's totally open and it's live streamed to YouTube and anybody can come and ask me questions there. Um, and I've been doing that for quite some time now. It's been awesome. Uh, and then I also have learning clubs where you can put together a group of people. I kind of facilitate getting people together who want to go through uh, any curriculum, whether it's Epic React or testing JavaScript or, or something completely different. Um, and uh, I facilitate getting that group together so that they can go through their curriculum together. So we try to, to make up for the fact that it's not actually a live workshop by um, adding stuff like office hours and, and learning clubs. And it really should feel like uh, a, a university semester, like three credit class. One just real quick question just about that actually is um, like, how does that work um, asynchronously, right? Like if, if, like if people have started at different points, how have you kind of worked out 
how they can sort of pop in for office hours. Yeah, yeah. So for the learning clubs, um, well, for office hours, like you just show up when when you can. And if, um, of, of course, we're in a global world and sometimes that's the middle of the night is when I do office hours for people. So I, I manage that through Discord and you can just ask your question uh, on Discord and then I'll answer it when I uh, do office hours and then you can watch the recording later. For the learning clubs, um, the way that works is you um, you set up set what your like you you decide okay I want to start a learning club I'll, I'll be the club captain so I create what the schedule is and I can base it off of a template that Kent has made um, and then I just say what time we're going to meet so most of the time there's going to be like an hour meeting every week um, where we'll we'll just meet together we'll talk about what we learned we'll talk about what we're going to learn maybe somebody's going to present on something specific or you know give some sort of talk or something that this is all kind of decided by in the learning club um, but it, normally it's not a, a synchronous experience for actually watching the videos and working through the content that's this is just a group of people to to meet up for a, about an hour every week talk about the things that they learned questions that they had and sometimes um, they'll invite me to one of their meetings and I'll, I'll answer a bunch of questions and stuff too, which I, I kind of enjoyed that too. Got it. Cool. I want to go back to something you said um, a minute ago, kind of about um, basically content quality and thinking about that. Like I noticed that on, on Epic React, you sort of go out of your way to talk about like, there is a lot of sort of low effort quality that's out there. Um, I'm sorry, low effort content that's out there. And I'm as someone who uh, lives sort of in the uh, web dev content world, like I, I see some of it, but I'm wondering sort of how you, how you actually would diagnose low, <laughs> low effort content. And then how, um, how is yours different? Like, how do you, or at least how do you try to make it different than that or better? Like, what are the sort of principles that go involved that go into that? Yeah, I, I would say that I'm a pretty good um, judge of low effort content because I produce a lot of it. <laughs> so okay. so I, I produce a lot of low effort content um, and, uh, and as a result, uh, lower quality. Um, and you can find that in all of the free stuff that I do. Um, so I, I, I feel like that can be useful and valuable, but it leaves the learner to be responsible for sifting through things and finding what they're looking for um, and I, I can't afford to spend my time um, uh, curating a really awesome learning experience for people for free. Uh, and so that's why uh, my free stuff is just like, you know, I'll, I'll flip on uh, Zoom and I'll live stream whatever it is that I'm working on. Um, and that can be really useful and interesting for people. And they'll see things that I do that they're like, oh, I should do that. Um, but because it's not um, something that I'm, I'm working on and iterating on and making better. Um, it's you have to kind of search for that. Uh, whereas the high quality stuff that I do on Epic React is um, absolutely been optimized for your learning experience. So it's not just a um, oh I kind of threw this example together uh, and I'm I'm sharing it with you. Epic React is the result of me giving these workshops to thousands of people over the course of of many years and iterating on the examples to make sure that they are teaching what I'm trying to teach. They're free of distraction. Um, and, and that's what I mean when I say like low effort, low quality content that is everywhere. Um, this is not a, a bad thing. That's great. Especially since it's like primarily free. Um, I take issue with when somebody's taking 
a person's money and then they give them a garbage <laughs> content, uh, you know, that they, they spent a weekend throwing together or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, people do what they do and it's, you know, um, just hate seeing people getting taken advantage of. But I, I make sure that when you give me money, I give you something really high quality. And that's what Epic React is. Uh, the, the low quality stuff or, or just like, um, you know, shoot it off the cuff. I'm not promising you anything. Um, and you're, you're not promising me anything. Um, all, all I'm saying is, Hey, I was doing this thing, uh, or, or my blog posts are kind of similar, uh, where most of the time I, I write, a, write a blog post and I don't even read it again. Um, I'll, I'll just write it and then I'll, I'll ship it. And then I, I iterate on it. If people complain about something or they say that something's confusing. Um, but because it's free, I, I just do the, you know, the bare minimum <laughs> to, to get that useful information out there. And, and it helps people. Uh, so it, it's just because it's um, lower effort doesn't mean that it's not useful. Uh, I, I think that sort of thing can be useful. But I wouldn't ask for money for something that I, you know, um, didn't put effort into making sure that it wasn't wasting people's time. Because um, even free stuff is not free for the consumer, right? It's taking their time. And I want to be respectful of that. Um, and make sure that they understand that, um, hey, this is, um, I like, to be clear, I'm literally just live streaming my thoughts and stuff. And maybe you'll find that to be useful. But uh, anyway, this, I, I can be long winded. Feel free to interrupt me. <laughs> no, I, uh, my interview style is to uh, let you talk. Otherwise, you know what I, <laughs> at this point, I think in, in Pod Rocket, people have heard me talk uh, enough. Um, but, anyways, I think like, I can relate to a, a lot of those things, right? Like we at Log Rocket, we uh, publish a lot of content, um, but and we try to make it as as high quality as we can. But we're not always going to get things right, and so I really do rely on on the audience, and they will always, to their credit, they'll always let me know, like, this is this is dumb, this is you, this is not <laughs> right. I go, okay, well, thanks. Hopefully, we don't do that too often, but um, but I get it, and we don't take money, but yeah, I mean, there is a little ad at the bottom that says like, you should maybe be interested in log rocket maybe or not. It's up to you, but there is sort of a trade off <laughs> of like services for good. So yeah, not, there's yeah. not a whole lot that's free. Um, mm -hmm. I do kind of wonder like about, well, two things, I guess the first thing is like when you are putting together a workshop or a course, I guess we'll start with the workshops, right? These are, are you looking back over, over the course of however long you've been, you've been working on it. And then kind of, like you said, you've been iterating over time. Do you then kind of go to other people and, and share your ideas and look for feedback or is it all just kind of like, I know this is in my head and I'm going to transmit it to the audience that yeah. way. Um, so I don't consume other people's content very much. Um, I, I do a little bit of that, but very rarely. Like I, um, most of the time, if I buy a course, it's from somebody that I know and respect, and I think that they're awesome, and I just want to give them money. <laughs> I don't, I don't consume other people's content much. Um, so sometimes I, I, I have to uh, see how they present it um, and see how, like okay, what are some uh, tricks of the trade or whatever uh, that I can learn from this person. Um, and for like developing a course, um, it's actually kind of hard to talk about course versus workshop versus talk versus blog post. Like it, all of this content creation, uh, feeds into itself. Like probably half of my blog posts I came up with because I wanted to reference it in my workshop material. 
Um, and in fact, lots of my libraries came out of, I, I'm teaching something in a workshop and I need to show you all of these different things you've got to do before you can get to the end result. And I realized that all of these things could actually just be a library. And now I just tell them to install the library <laughs> and, uh, and save myself a lot of time. Of course, it's always good to teach them what the library is doing. And I do that too. But, um, and that's actually where React testing library came from, uh, was exactly that, um, so, it was just like, this is too much work and enzymes, no good. So <laughs> we're going to make our own thing. Um, so when I'm developing a course, I actually, now I will create a workshop for it first and I'll iterate on that workshop and then uh, record that into a course. Um, and so they, they're kind of like, course is kind of a self-paced workshop for me now. Egghead is a little bit unique because it, um, for me, Egghead isn't uh, a place where, like, let's work through this together. It's like, watch me go through the solutions. Um, and uh, But uh, Epic React is different where it's intentionally, I want you to work through this and then watch the solution uh, as I work through it. So um, when it's a workshop, I am delivering it to real people who, who need the information. They can ask me questions. And after giving it a, a dozen times or so, I have a pretty solid idea of the questions that people are going to ask. Um, and so I... Uh, I typically answer those questions before they're asked, um, whether that be in the supporting material, the, like the written supported material, or uh, like in the instructions and stuff, um, or in my solution as I'm presenting the solution, I say, and uh, we're going to do this and we can't do it this way because if we did, then this other problem would happen or whatever. Uh, so I, I kind of internalize those, those sorts of questions after having so much, so much experience in delivering it. And I think that's one of the things that makes Epic React in particular and testing JavaScript um, such a kind of a standalone when it comes to quality, because um, it, it's not just something that I thought up one weekend and, and threw together uh, and hoped that it was effective in teaching. Um, it's something that I know is effective in teaching because I've taught it to hundreds of, or even thousands of people. Um, and, and I also, uh, part of my... Uh, teaching process is I uh, get feedback on every exercise um, from the people who are going through it. So once they're finished, once we, we finish, I give them two minutes to, to write down some feedback, write down what they learned. Um, and so I have, uh, I haven't looked recently, but probably somewhere around 8,000 lines of feedback um, from people on my various workshops uh, that I use to anytime I'm going to present the workshop again, I go through all the material myself and I look through every bit of feedback and I'm uh, tweaking and improving things. Uh, so by the end of it, when I go to record, um, I'm not worried about whether somebody is going to have a question because I know that I, I'm answering those. And then like in the off chance that somebody has something really specific, uh, that's what office hours is for. Um, and that's proven to be very effective. What do you use to, to sort of parse and identify patterns and stuff with 8,000 lines of feedback? <laughs> um, my eyes, it's, it's just a, it's a Google form. Um, and uh, I, I have a, um, uh, there's a, a link at the bottom of every exercise that is, uh, I have a little script that I run to update it so that it prefills uh, what exercise it is and, and different things like that. It's all the same form um, for, for everyone, but it prefills a couple fields. And then also when you set up the workshop, you can enter your email address and it will prefill that field for you as well. 
Um, so every, you know, cause that's different for everybody. Um, and so then they just click on that link. It has all that info pre-filled and they just answer a couple of quick questions. Uh, and so then when I'm working on a, a workshop and I'm like, okay, exercise two, we're going to talk, we, I, I need to iterate on this. I'll take that giant spreadsheet, put a filter on it to just give me the feedback on exercise two and, uh, and just, it takes forever, <laughs> but I go through it all. And, uh, and the workshops are amazing now because of the feedback that people have given. Yeah, no, that, the reason I ask is sometimes we put up, um, like open ended question, like polls on the log rocket blog and, um, we get a lot of answers and I was hoping that you had like a, a magic answer for me on how I would do that besides, yeah. Uh, you probably know this, um, but just in case for listeners, um, it's really valuable to be able to, to hear somebody's feedback and say, um, I hear you, but you're, I'm not going to make any changes and I know why. Um, so like, um, you're for me, like maybe early on, I would take every bit of feedback and like, think that this is what I should do. They're absolutely right. But over time I've learned that, um, they may feel that way, but I'm the educator here uh, and I know what I'm doing. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I don't always, um, uh, follow the the advice that uh, people give me. Um, but then another important aspect of this, uh, or that's different from what, what you're doing uh, versus what I'm doing, is yours is going out to your audience, uh, the people who are reading your blog. Um, and and that, that can just be just about anybody. Um, mine is going to my audience of people who have actually gone through the workshop, uh, and they can tell me their actual lived experience in going through my workshop material. And so our, our audiences are a little bit different. Um, and so you probably get way more feedback than I do. Um, and, uh, and it's probably a lot bigger challenge to parse through all of that and, and know what's useful and what's not. For sure. For I was... Um it's all really helpful. And I'm always really impressed at honestly, and, and I don't know why I was surprised, but like people are really generally speaking are, um, not rude. Um, but also they're willing, they're very generous with their time and answering the questions, which is, um, which is really nice. Yeah, one, yeah. one other question that, um, I was thinking about when we were kind of talking about your process is, um, so we don't necessarily pay so much attention to kind of other people's content unless, you know, you know, and like them. And, um, we're thinking, um, we're being a little bit protective of, of the vision that we've created um, simply because, like you said, you're the educator. Do you ever look to maybe more, I guess we'll call them kind of traditional, traditional learning um, models like the university setting? Um, think about kind of either how you compare or what you could borrow. We did an episode or I did an episode um, not so long ago just kind of about, you know, how a university compares to boot camps, for example. Um, so I wonder what your thoughts on or all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so there's a book that I read a few years ago called Make It Stick uh, that talks about uh, you. Yeah. Sound looks like it's familiar to you. Is that the orange one? Is the covers orange with like duct tape on it? Is that? The I think it. I think it's blue. Um, but I listened to it, <laughs> so I'm not okay. But I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But uh, man, that that book changed uh, how I think about learning and teaching, and uh, that was a very impactful for me. Um, and one of the, um, sticking points for me, um, or, or problems that I had with that book, um, was that it, it seemed to come from the perspective of like, you're, 
it, it was written for the learner, um, but like you could very easily translate that to the teacher and how can I facilitate these things for my learners? Um, and it was written from the perspective of uh, you've got a, a long time, like a, an entire semester with these people. And that doesn't work for me because I have a day. Uh, sometimes I have a, a couple of days uh, if we're doing work like several workshops for the same group of people. Uh, and so uh, applying some of the techniques like spaced repetition and stuff it is difficult to do in the course of a day because spaced repetition is typically like, okay, so we do it today, now we'll do it tomorrow, and then we'll do it in three days, and then we'll do it in, in a week, and we'll just repeat that. I can't do that. And so I actually emailed the authors and I said, how would you adapt some of the things that you uh, teach uh, or, or, or some of the research that you've done to um, what it's like to teach for a single day. Um, and they gave me a couple of bits of advice um, that, that uh, you know, it, like, hey, send them an email or something after or encourage them to go through the material again in a week or something, uh, which I do. But uh, as far as like adapting things from a university setting, I actually have been in invited by um, my alma mater, BYU, to come and teach for them. And I was really close to accepting that, but um, I, I hesitated to do it because uh, I realized that I could spend that time um, serving, uh, like, because they're not going to pay me well, like it's a university for crying out loud. Um, and so it, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing it for the money. Uh, it would be for, you know, the joy of teaching and, and the experience. And I realized that I could probably do the same thing for um, less privileged in individuals. <laughs> and, and that's actually where office hours came from, uh, where I decided to start doing uh, these regular, you know, and uh, I, I invested more in learning clubs uh, to help with that too. Um, so anyway, uh, as far as like borrowing stuff, I, I had I, I have a master's degree in information systems. I love all my teachers; they were great. Um, but I, um, I guess one of the things that I learned from my time at the university was that I I feel like I learned a lot more relevant information when I was doing my internship, like actually working on stuff, than I did when I was in the university. And so um, that was frustrating, and that was something that I've carried with me is. Hey, Kent, make sure that you're staying relevant uh, and make sure that you know what's going on in the broader world so that uh, when I'm teaching people, I'm teaching them stuff that is, um, is relevant to what's going on in the world. So I wouldn't say that I borrowed like really positive stuff uh, from university in the way that they teach. I'm sure there are things that I'm missing. Um, that, that they do really well that I just, uh, and, and maybe there are some things that I have borrowed without knowledge uh, or without realizing I have. Um, but I, I feel like um, the, the teaching style um, or the, the way that uh, courses are taught in university uh, are lacking. Uh, I think they could be better. Um, and yeah, <laughs> but I don't, I don't have time to go and, and do it myself. <laughs> no, I, again, I had a similar um, experience. Like when I started managing people, um, I didn't read a bunch of management books, which I would probably not hurt. Um, but I remembered all of the things I didn't like about, you know, maybe former managers. And I just promised myself to not do those things. Uh, so I didn't take any positive lessons away necessarily, but I took, I was like, don't do that. And it seems to be working out. Okay. Um, so I, I can, I can sort of relate. Um, 
so that's a good, uh, you mentioned um, about kind of staying current, which I think is a great segue into something else I wanted to ask is how do you stay current? I know that, I mean, it is a challenge, right? It's certainly a challenge for us. Like we're constantly updating posts and take posts down. And it's like when it doesn't make sense anymore um, for your courses and then workshops, how are you, what are you doing to, to kind of make sure that things are current? Yeah, so I do update testing JavaScript and Epic React, um, and um, and I do make sure that if something is not, so I don't put dates on anything um, because they that is a, a false signal to whether something's relevant, uh, and people are always begging for dates. Like, please, I I need to know when this was last updated. No, you don't actually need to know when it was last updated. You need to know how relevant it is and how useful it is to today. Because there are uh, blog posts that people have written 20 years ago that are still relevant and useful today. Um, so yeah, w- whether or not it, uh, I don't put dates on on my content, but I will make sure that if it is out of date, that you know. Um, and so that's why um, uh, I, I keep things, yeah, so just in general, I, I try to keep things up to date and I make sure that people know that when things are not up to date, that, that they know. Um, so as far as like myself, keeping myself relevant, um, and, and by the way, I do update my, my material too. So it's not just like send it out into the world and hope that it stays relevant for long enough. Um, I, I do uh, update things uh, over time. But uh, yeah, keeping myself relevant, that was the biggest fear that I had when I went full-time teacher. Um, actually, I, I knew that I was a good teacher. I knew that I would be able to make money doing this. I was already doing that on the side. I'd already launched testing JavaScript when I was still at PayPal. Um, and testing JavaScript um, made me more than my PayPal salary. And that's when I decided, okay, I guess I can do this full time. <laughs> and so um, so it wasn't a concern of like, wow, is this going to work or whatever? That wasn't the concern for me. The concern was, am I going to be able to do this and uh, teach people the right stuff? Uh, I don't want to teach people uh, stuff that that doesn't apply to industry because, again, my goal is to make the world better by teaching better people how to make better software. And if I mislead, then I'm doing the opposite of my goal. So, um, yeah, so that was my biggest fear. And I kind of decided that I was uh, pretty good at staying on the, the leading edge of everything already. When I was at PayPal, I represented them on the TC39. So I was literally on the committee that decided the fate of JavaScript. Um, and and I wasn't able to be that anymore because I left PayPal. Um, but uh, I, I was always using the latest versions of libraries and, and all of that stuff. So it was kind of in my nature to stay on the latest. And then I also decided that if I ever felt like I was losing touch, I would take a break for a while to build something real. Um, and because when you're an educator, you're building demos and everything demos well, like you can take anything and it demos fine. Like, um, so it, it's when you try to apply it to what all of your learners are doing <laughs> is when things get sticky. So I wanted to make sure that I was still, I, I kept myself um, uh, at least in the loop of what my learners were actually doing. Um, and so uh, I, I decided, you know what, if, if I do feel like I'm losing relevance or losing touch, then I'll just take a break and I'll build something real or maybe I'll even just get a job. Uh, and we'll just do this for a couple of years and I'll go back and get a job and then we'll just alternate or something. We'll see what the future holds. And um, for the last um, seven or eight months, I've been working 
almost exclusively on a giant rewrite of my website. Um, and this isn't just like your regular developer portfolio with like markdown blog posts and stuff. Um, this is uh, authentication, like um, custom made hand rolled uh, authentication. I've got my own Postgres database and, and Redis and, and um, I'm deploying on fly to multiple regions all over the world. It's actually really cool how it all works. Uh, it's super, super fast anywhere you are in the world. Um, and, uh, and it's a remix app. Um, so using the latest and greatest of what's available. Um, and we, we've got you know user data and all, all of the stuff that you typically find. I haven't measured it recently, but we're probably at around 25,000 lines of code um, that I have primarily written. I have hired somebody to, to help me implement some of the designs that our designers came up with. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm working on a team to build a product, an actual thing. Uh, and so that was part of my plan all along is after I've done this for a while as a full-time educator, let's build something real and make sure that I'm, I'm, uh, I know what I'm doing still. And turns out I do. Uh, I, I haven't had any like big surprises like, oh man, I sure wish I hadn't taught people to do that. Like, no, everything that I've been teaching people for all this time has, has been solid advice uh, for the time. Now there, there have been changes. I used to tell people CSS and JS was the bomb. It still is, but it, there are better things. Um, and Remix didn't exist <laughs> when I was uh, teaching all that stuff too. So like the ecosystem evolves. Um, but I, I'm comforted to know that um, even the stuff that is out there now is still really solid advice that I've been giving people. Uh, and so, yeah, validation of what I've been teaching uh, has been really helpful. And, and now that I'm starting to get to the end of this rewrite and get it launched, I'm starting to look forward to creating new workshops based on uh, and, and improving the existing workshops. So new workshops on new topics and then taking the, the older topics and upgrading them further uh, based on the things that I've learned in building this website. So if anybody out there is creating content, they're like, ah, I want to stay in touch or something, build something real. Um, don't, don't do some little demo thing. Uh, you know, put, put together a TikTok for cats or something. Um, and, uh, you know, with the, the whole, whole thing. Um, and then now you have a ton of things. Like I have countless blog posts that I can write now based on what I've done in my website and, and, uh, at least like four new workshops that I have ideas for. So anyway, that's that. <laughs> I, um, uh, again, just thinking about my experience, like whenever we get pitches from authors, the best ones are always ones where it's either, it's a problem that they've encountered while building something real, like either whether it's at work or their own projects versus something like, I think I know, um, every single time. And so it's, uh, it's a universal truth an immutable truth. Um, at least for me, as far as I'm concerned, um, is that sort of the, the plan for you maybe going forward is like, so you're on a, a few platforms now, or at least your content is, or is it all, are you thinking about consolidation onto your site? That's kind of where you're headed or I don't want to blow up your spot. Necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I have recently been wanting to uh, consolidate things. Um, not necessarily the domain, um, but uh, the, like who I'm working with, um, and so I have, um, created content for, um, front end masters and that, that ends up on plural site as well. Um, I've done, um, stuff for thinkster. Um, and then of course, egghead. Um, 
And I, I've decided that it's um, best for me just in the number of people I have to coordinate with. If I just focus on uh, working with one set of uh, people. And so I, I chose Egghead. They've been fantastic. Uh, and they are my collaborator collaborators on my Egghead courses, of course, but also testing JavaScript and Epic React. Um, so they, they've done all of the stuff I don't want to do, uh, and including my website, uh, they're responsible for like finding the designers and the illustrators and, um, and the, um, the person that I hired to, um, help me with implementing designs. Uh, I've got another guy who's really good at, uh, like visual animations and stuff like that that is, uh, going through, through them. So I just work with them to do all the stuff, like the businessy things that I don't like to do. Um, so that I can focus on the stuff that I do like to do. And that's one of the, my secrets to being so productive. Um, and, uh, yeah, so consolidating mostly in the people that I work with, I'm not super concerned about, uh, getting it on, on the website. One, um, one thing that is important to me is making sure that, uh, I'm not the Epic React guy, but that I'm Kent and I created Epic React. Uh, you have a lot of these people who have tied their entire image to something that is not them, uh, but a thing that they created. And so when that thing that they created is no longer relevant for some reason, like if when I was doing AngularJS, if I tied myself uh, to you know an AngularJS course that I made, and then I decide, okay, I'm leaping and going to React. Uh, and then I say, hey, I'm Kent. You're like, who, who's Kent? And I say, well, I'm the one who made that. Oh, oh, now I know who you are. No, no, no. For me, everything is Kent. So it's Epic React Dev by Kent and testingjavascript.com uh, by Kent. Um, and then like all my podcasts, I have chats with Kent. Um, I'm starting a new podcast called Call Kent um, where people can uh, literally call me and I respond and, and it turns into a podcast. Um, and uh um, I have office hours with Kent, live with Kent, like everything uh, I, I put myself forefront so I can keep um, uh, keep people uh, in my tribe committed to, to me with whatever direction that I decide to go. Um, and so, yeah, whether or not it all ends up on the same domain is, is less relevant to me. It's more about whether the people know who created this thing um, and that... Uh, yeah, and that's me. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it again feels like it makes sense to to be protective of uh, one's own brand. I mean, but look, I do want to pull on that thread just about call Kent because that sounds super interesting to me. What what is the we're calling Kent and then we're recording the conversations and then that's the podcast? I, tell me more. Yeah, sort of. So it's it's not exactly a call. I said literally they're calling me, but not exactly. They uh, so on my website you'll go to kentcdodds.com slash call when this is. Uh, released, uh, or calls, um, it'll redirect <laughs> and, uh, and you can see a list of all the podcast episodes of, um, and, and then you can record your own and right there in the browser, you just say record and you, know, you ask your question or you say, make your observation about the world and say, what do you think of that or whatever? Um, and it, just like a, a two minute little question, um, you know, something that can be answered over, over audio. Uh, you can't say, Hey, look at this code. Like, <laughs> but, uh, and then, um, I look at it on my admin page to see all the, the calls that have been recorded and you enter in like the title and the description for the podcast and some keywords and stuff. So I look through those. Uh, I listen to the one that sounds interesting, uh, that I want to respond to. I'll listen to it and then, um, I'll hit record. I'll record my response. I hit accept 
and it goes off um, onto my server, sticks them all together with some bumpers and stuff, and then uploads it to uh, my podcast uh, service. And uh, yeah, it, within like minutes, it's on the podcast. That's a really cool idea. Yeah, it's taken me a long time to to get it to work, <laughs> but it works now. Um, so yeah, just working on the final touches, and it'll be released as part of my website in the next couple of weeks. Well, I mean, I saw that like not too long ago, uh, Cameo did like start doing Cameo calls. Maybe you could do that after the words. Oh yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Where it's like it's more you know obviously live, but same idea ish. Uh huh. Yeah, I I could uh, maybe I could spin this out as a, a service and make my own cameo competitor. <laughs> why I don't see why not. Talk about building something real. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a fair point. I guess we could we could do. I don't think I could do that. I don't think we have any any cameo related items at, at Log Rocket that would be useful. I I think for me it works really well because people are constantly asking me questions. Um, and, and that's what office hours is. It's just a bunch of questions and, um, and those are really valuable. Um, and I appreciate being able to answer them. Um, but I think for lots of them, when that can just be answered over audio only, um, having it in a consumable podcast that people can subscribe to and they can listen to, I plan on, uh, answering a call every day. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, you'd get a, a call in your podcast player every day. Uh, it's only like 10 minutes, really pretty, pretty quick. So, um, yeah, so I, I think it's, a, I guess kind of in general, one of the secrets that I've uncovered, uh, over the years on content creation is that we're constantly creating content. We're always creating content. Um, a conversation with a, a coworker about like your Git strategy at work is you're creating content. The, the difference between a content creator and everybody else is that they capture that in some, some form, whether it's like they write it down or they record it or something, and then they make it consumable. Uh, so they distribute it. Uh, and that's the difference between just like a, a normal person, because literally everybody's creating content. So just a normal person and somebody who actually is a content creator is uh, by making that content you've created just naturally, uh, a consumable piece of information. I noticed that you put uh, content creator in, in sort of air quotes. I, nobody likes that term. Like I don't, there's, I just can't think of a better term, but I don't know anyone who's, who, who it's better than influencer, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. um, so just my last question really is uh, we're talking about um, creating content. What, this is a little bit of a selfish question, but what do you, what do you think the role of corporate, or a corporation's content creation? Like what are the things that either um, they're doing right, wrong, you wish that they were doing better? Um, where do they fit kind of in the in the educational spectrum for at least for web devs or developers period? Yeah, um, you know, LogRocket is fairly unique. Um, I So I'll, like I said, I don't uh, consume other people's content very much. That includes blog posts. In fact, blog posts are the thing I consume the least because I don't read very well. <laughs> I have a hard time reading. Um, so I do consume uh, podcasts. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen at 3x um, and so that I can consume as much as I, as possible in as little <laughs> time as I uh, can manage. So um, uh, I can't really speak to um, what you are doing right or wrong, um, but my impression is that um, corporate content um, strategies 
especially around things like, so, and I want to be totally clear, this is not a judgment on it the log rocket or anything. Cause I have not read your content. I don't know where you stand on the spectrum. I promise you there's no way you'll hurt my feelings. I've at this point, okay. I, I've heard it all. And uh, no, believe me. So, so my, my biggest fear with, uh, with a company um, producing a lot of content is you have to, when, when you create content um, you want to at least make sure that it's of high enough quality that it's not wrong. Um, and it's really difficult to, uh, to do that if you are not an expert in that field. Um, and of course, as a company, you can't be an expert in all of the things that, that, uh, you're blogging about. Um, and so naturally you reach out to other people to ask them to, to create this content for you. Um, and then you, I guess, unless you do like really rigorous, background checking and and like peer reviews and stuff you kind of just have to take it for what it is and, and hope that it's right um and the reason that i have that impression or that worry is that i have gotten reached out to by countless companies asking me to write about various things some of which i have zero experience with at all and so it just really concerns me because i'm able to say no because i'm i'm uh, gainfully employed in what i'm doing um, but i imagine that there are a number of people who are not in that position or really could use the extra cash and they say i don't know anything about this but like if they're going to give me money to write about this thing then like who cares i'm going to take that and um and so uh yeah i just remember very early in my career um, I got asked by, I, I, I'm hesitating to call them out, but I'm going to say it, Packet Publishing. Uh, it's a book publishing company. They're pretty well known for doing this. Um, so that's why I don't feel too bad for calling them out because I've had several friends who say this happened to them. But yeah, they reached out to me to, to write something about, um, I, I don't know, it was like a Java thing or something. I know zero about it, nothing. I, I don't know where they got in their mind that I would be the uh, good candidate for writing about uh, writing a, a book about this and it just like i mean i i've totally lost any confidence in anything that i get from that company because they'll just take anything from anybody that's that's actually kind of the same way i felt about udemy where they literally will take anything from anybody and and take it <laughs> where like people can download my content or west boss's content and upload it to udemy and make money on it and, and now Udemy is saying that we're responsible for filing a takedown notice, whereas what really should be is they should actually like curate their stuff and make sure that it's not stolen content. So this is um, one of the things, and it's not just that about Udemy that I don't like. They're also jerks to their instructors. But, um, but uh, yeah, like it, it worries me when I see a company that doesn't know anything about the content that is being produced under its name. Um, and that's, it's not necessarily a bad thing so long as they have the right structures in place to make sure that the content that's being produced is of high quality because, in, uh, because when it's produced under a company that has clout, um, then people will just naturally assume that it's correct. Uh, and so they will follow the advice that uh, at least inexperienced people uh, will just kind of assume, oh, well, this this came out of such and such company, so therefore it must be better than whatever my assumption of what I should do is. is. Um, and so it's just really important to me that um, there is a level of curation and quality um, to make sure that the, the content is correct. 
Um, and anyway, so that's that's the biggest concern that I have for a company making content that is uh, outside of what it's. So a, a good example of a company making content that's inside of what it does is Cloudinary. They have a lot of content on images and it's really like they get this and they know it and I, I trust them because that's what they do. Um, so if they started producing content on, on totally different stuff, then I'd want like, um, yeah, they would have to just implement some sort of quality control to make sure that it's, it's accurate stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think that is a pretty measured response, honestly, like and it's fair. I mean, we have the same thing. Like people, um, will take our feed and, and rehost it. And then, which I don't, wouldn't even really mind that much, much cause Google doesn't, you know, they know where it came from originally, but it would be nice if you asked, like it would be yeah. those kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it, there is the, it, you know, it bothers me when people make money on it. And so yeah. like they're paying this other person for something that I spent time producing uh, and, uh, and the person who's doing the buying might not even realize that they're buying stolen goods. And, and that bothers me a lot. Um, yeah, I really don't like that. Yeah. I think there's that, like, I don't know how, um, you know, open source versus instructors, like it feels like both of those groups are almost like constantly have to justify like, or at least explain like, Hey, I need to make a living mm. and I need to make money somehow. Yeah. And I almost feel like maybe open source folks are a little bit further down the road than, than instructors, but I'm not sure. Maybe that could just be my own impression, but no, that, I, I'm in both of those categories and I have not made very much in my open source stuff, like very little, <laughs> uh, not directly. Anyway, I, I've gotten jobs thanks to, uh, you know, my open source and stuff. So there's that, but yeah, as far as directly, um, yeah, getting o money in open source is kind of like getting picked for the NBA. Uh, there, you look at all of these people and are like, well, look at that person. They're making bank on that. It was like, all right, yeah, good luck being the next Michael Jordan or LeBron James or whatever. <laughs> cool. Those are the questions that I have for you. Is there, what should we, this is the part of the podcast where we say, you know, do you have anything you'd like to plug? I feel like we talked about some things. Is there anything else? Is there anything? Is there any specific thing that we didn't mention that you wanted to get in there? Sure. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just mention, of course, epicreact.dev, testingjavascript.com. Uh, Kentc.ods.com is going to look really awesome in the next couple of weeks. So I don't know when this gets published, but um, it, eventually you should go there and look at it because it is great. <laughs> and uh, and sign up for an account on there. There's really cool stuff we can do with um um, for you there. Uh, the call Kent podcast will be really cool. Uh, and then my discord community is awesome. I spend, um, I used to be like way on Twitter all the time and everything. Now I pretty much share most stuff just on discord because it's just an awesome place to hang out. Um, and I, I have my own discord community. Um, that is just a really cool place to, to be. So, uh, you can find a link to that on my website. Cool. Well, it was a pleasure, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for listening to Pod Rocket. Find us at Pod Rocket Pod on Twitter, or you could always email me, even though that's not a popular option. It's Brian at Log Rocket.